0: So ever since our children were young, birthday celebrations in our home begin with all of us gathered around the coffee table. We light a candle and fill a colorful goblet with grape juice. It's called the blessing cup. We raise the blessing cup in celebration of the life of the person whose birthday it is and we say a prayer of thanksgiving for them. Then each of us offers our prayers, hopes, and petitions for that person in the coming year. We say the Lord's Prayer and pass the blessing cup around for each of us to drink from. Next come the presents, an over-the-top rendition of Happy Birthday on the piano with all of us singing at the top of our lungs, and all this followed by birthday cake. Now that our children are older and our lives are much more complex, It's impossible to do this ritual on every birthday, and I miss it. For me, the Blessing Cup is always a highlight of the birthday celebration. Sitting there and sharing the cup is a time to remember things that have happened during the previous year, and it's a time to think about the year to come. The thing is, though, that as we raise our cup to the coming year, we have no idea exactly what that year will bring. Some years we wondered if it would bring the death of our beloved dog, Lottie, which ultimately it did. Would it bring the pain of moving towns and churches and communities? Would it bring new friends that filled our days with laughter, new experiences that would mark our lives forever, new accomplishments or new blessings like our dog, Martha? Would the year bring the loss of people we loved? Although we never know exactly what will come our way in the year ahead, we know the year will bring both a mixture of joy and sadness. For as Henry Nouwen says, the cup of joy and the cup of sadness is always the same cup. And as a family, we drink that cup together. Now just in case this is starting to sound like an angelic, blissful celebration of family harmony, I want to assure you that it is definitely not always that. Until recently, our daughter's personal prayer for her brother's birthday always went something like this. God, please don't let Wilson turn out to be like every other seven-year-old boy I know. (laughs) Of course, the specific age changed according to the birthday we were celebrating for Wilson. First seven, then eight, then nine, or ten-year-old. There was the arguing over which one of them would blow out the candle at the end of the prayers, which one would get to drink the rest of the grape juice, and as they got older, which one would practice lighting the candle with a match. There was the decision over who got which piece of cake, which could sometimes be contentious too. Thankfully, these were all minor issues, and they have mostly subsided as the years have gone by. But I was reminded of the cup and all the jockeying for the roles that surrounded it when I read today's Gospel reading. Just before today's reading from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has told the disciples for the third time that he's going to die. And yet once again they respond in a way that shows they have no idea what he's talking about. Instead of grieving and preparing for Jesus' upcoming death, James and John are busy asking him for prize appointments in his new kingdom. They are still convinced that the Roman government is going to be ousted and that Jesus is going to need to fill some cabinet positions when he comes to power. Perhaps James and John, the sons of Zebedee, have a right to expect something special in Jesus' kingdom. After all, they've left everything, families, homes, and jobs, They were among the first of the disciples to be called by Jesus. And they are part of the inner circle who, along with Peter, have witnessed the transfiguration and will be called to pray in the garden with Jesus the night before he dies. So in a way, it makes sense that James and John come to Jesus asking if they will be able to sit on his right hand and on his left hand in his kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus replies. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? James and John naively answer, We are able. And then Jesus tells them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, we tend to think of this response that Jesus gives the brothers as some kind of a threat. We seem to think, typically, that Jesus is saying something like this. If that's what you want, then that's exactly what you'll get. If you want to sit next to me, then you'll have to suffer like me. Be careful what you ask for. But maybe we're reading into Jesus' response what our own response would be. Maybe we're just projecting What if these words that Jesus says are more of a promise than they are a threat? Maybe Jesus is really saying something like this. James and John, you won't always be driven by your desire for reward and your need to have the best seats in the house. You won't always equate power with the force of an iron fist or the cash in your wallet or the number of people on your side. Whether you will be empowered to take up your cross and follow me. You will be free to live fully, to live a life of deep compassion, a life of humble service, a life of love that knows no bounds. In other words, you will become great by becoming a servant. That is my cup, and it is to be your cup as well. Maybe that's what Jesus was really saying. I wonder how many times James and John thought back on this conversation in the years that followed. I wonder if they ever second-guessed their eager response to Jesus, yes, we are able to drink the cup that you drink. Henry Nouwen writes this. He writes, John and James had not the faintest idea of what they were saying when they said yes. They hardly understood who Jesus was. They didn't think about him as a leader who would be betrayed, tortured, and killed on a cross. Nor did they dream about their own lives as marked by tiresome travels and harsh persecutions and consumed by contemplation or martyrdom. Their first easy yes had to be followed by many hard yeses until their cups were completely empty. According to tradition, The two disciples went on to live very different lives. James was the first of the apostles to be martyred, while John lived to a ripe old age in Ephesus. Still, they both had to learn over time what it meant to drink the cup of Jesus in their own lives, just like we have to learn in ours. See, Jesus' question isn't just for James and John. Jesus asks each one of us, can you drink the cup that I drink? We look at Jesus' cup, at his life, and we see that it holds both deep sorrow and intense joy. It holds both death and salvation. And we wonder, can we drink the cup? This question looks different from day to day depending upon what life brings our way. On some days, we respond with all the enthusiasm of James and John. Yes, we can. On other days, we shrink back in resignation and fear and fatigue, and we say, no way, I can't do it. But over and over again, we hear the invitation of Jesus, can you drink the cup that I drink? It's the invitation that draws us to the altar rail Sunday after Sunday. In answering yes to Jesus' question, we drink the cup that Jesus drank. We do so knowing some of the joys and sorrows that lie ahead of us. And we do so not knowing many more. We do so believing the cup of Jesus in its entirety to be none other than the cup of life, the cup of salvation. And we do so trusting that when the yeses become too hard for us to bear all alone, Those with whom we drink this cup will embrace the joys and sorrows of our life for and with us. There's a reason we drink the cup of Jesus as a community. John and Steve, today you come asking the church to bless your marriage. How fitting it is that you make your promises to one another and then take communion, then drink the cup that Jesus drank. How fitting that you will take this position of highest honor in the lives of one another and then be reminded what it means to have such honor in Jesus' kingdom. It means a life of service. Stephen John, your marriage is the place where you will practice again and again what it means to be a servant, what it means to be kind, to show compassion, To care for one another's feelings and thoughts and opinions. To forgive over and over and over and over again. To celebrate one another's joys and to grieve one another's sorrows, both as if they were your own. And as you drink the cup of life together this way, fully and all the way down to the dregs, may you draw strength from all of us when you need it. And may your marriage be for us a window into the self-giving love of God.